Well, the, uh, this morning, just for our first service, uh, somebody with a gift encouragement on a bike cycled past the front of the church and shouted at me whilst I was stood on the door on my own. I wish Kay was there for my protection. Uh, you lot are wasting your time. That's what he shouted. I felt really blessed and encouraged by that. Um, yesterday, we had our Alpha course, Holy Spirit Away Day. I can tell you, Jesus is still changing lives. It was a fantastically exciting day. So although I bless the man for his encouragement, what he was speaking is absolute rubbish. Uh, there are plenty of stories that Jesus is changing lives. Well, the winter nights are well and truly drawing in now, aren't they? So uh, to cheer us up this morning, I thought we'd continue in our little teaching series uh, where we've been thinking about Jesus eating, drinking, and talking uh, with other people. Now, if you were here last weekend, you'll know that we uh, joined Jesus. He was at the wedding of Cana. And at the time we joined Jesus last week, he was a relative nobody. Nobody really knew who Jesus was. Early days of his ministry. Now, things are starting to build up. Momentum is really starting to gather. And as we join Jesus in our story today, he's heading towards the peak of his ministry. Everybody knows who Jesus is. It says in the Scriptures, no one had ever performed miracles like Jesus. Mark, in his gospel, says Jesus was a teacher who was unlike anyone who had ever gone before him. Jesus spoke with great authority. It's what the scriptures say. So maybe it's hardly surprising that word is getting around and everybody wants to be in the presence of Jesus. Now, people had different reasons, different motivations for wanting to be around him. Some wanted to reap some physical benefit from being near Jesus. They'd heard that he was a healer. Others thought, well, there's some spiritual benefits, isn't there? Uh, Jesus is preaching, his teaching is great. It might make me become a better person. And then, of course, there were some social benefits of being around Jesus. There was kudos in being in the company of Christ. No wonder people were flocking around him. In fact, just before our scripture reading today, we discover that other well-known people, Herod no less, had asked to be in the company of Jesus. Such was his fame and his reputation. And as we join Jesus today in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is tired. He is physically, he is emotionally finished. Now, that might be a surprising thing to say, but we need to remind ourselves that although Jesus was God, he was God in human flesh. He was a person just like you and I. And you can imagine, can't you, that having large, demanding crowds following you around must have been absolutely exhausting. I know this from personal experience. I get followed around my house all the time by five children. Can you imagine for a moment what it must have been like to have been followed by 5,000 plus people? Now, the very beginning of uh, Luke chapter 9, Jesus has just commissioned his 12 disciples to go off and do some exciting stuff in his name, to go and cast out demons and to cure diseases. Wow, what a ministry. And Kay and I thought it was just about drinking tea and coffee with people, casting out uh, demons and driving away uh, diseases. And they've just come back in Luke chapter 9, and Jesus and his disciples, you can imagine, have gone off to have a bit of a debrief to have some R&R together. And Luke tells us, well, Jesus went to the other side of the Galilee. He went up a mountain. This really sounds like me when I'm trying to hide from my children in the cupboard at home. He goes and hides, but people still find him. It's a massive game of hide and seek. 5,000 people seeking for one Jesus. The odds really were stacked against him. So the crowd followed Jesus up the mountain, but Jesus being Jesus, and haven't we seen this week after week after week in our gospel stories, Jesus is a compassionate savior. He doesn't try and escape from the crowd. He doesn't go and hide in a cave. He doesn't do do what all of you do when you see me coming across the road and hide in a shop. 
Instead, he starts to make arrangements to organize the chaos which is about to happen in front of him. There's chaos in front of Jesus, but two for Jesus, this is an opportunity. If you've got a Bible, turn to uh, Luke chapter 9. We're just going to read seven verses, uh, which is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It says this, When the apostles returned from all that they'd been commissioned to, they reported to Jesus what they had done. And then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it, and they followed him. He welcomed them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowds away uh, so they can go to the surrounding villages and to the countryside so that they can find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Jesus replies, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five uh, loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks, and he broke them. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Do you notice again that the first response of Jesus as he sees the crowd is one of compassion and not consternation. It's one of love and not of loathing. It's one of opportunity and and not of obstructiveness. What a contrast to the response of the disciples in, in verse 12. Seriously, Jesus, would you get rid of them? Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere. We've had a busy day. We finally found this remote spot and here come 5,000 people and worse than that, they've got their annoying kids with them. Wowzers, Jesus, give us a break. Would you ditch them? And Jesus' response is almost comical, isn't it? In verse 13, here's my solution to the problem. You lot feed them. Isn't that just so Jesus? Rather than thinking about his own needs and prioritizing himself at the end of a busy day, he instead compassionately responds to the crowd that's in front of him. The first thing Jesus sees is a ministry opportunity here as 5,000 plus people are coming towards him in need of nourishment. What's the first thing the disciples see? The first thing they see is a problem. And I have a prayer for myself. Maybe this is a prayer for you as well because I need to grow in this area. And my prayer is that my response to the needs of others would be more like Jesus than it is the disciples. One of compassion and not of consternation. Now, I realize this is probably stating the obvious, but back in Jesus' day, there was no Tesco Express, there was no McDonald's drive-thru, and there was no Deliveroo. These men, these women, these children in the crowd have been following Jesus for a very long time, and they had some very significant physical needs. Now, although the passage is entitled The Feeding of the 5,000, in reality, there would have been more like 10 or 20,000 people there if you include the women and the children too. The scripture just says there were 5,000 men. Add the women, the children, you've got up to 20,000 or more people. But Jesus recognizes that these people had a larger spiritual need than any one-off meal was ever going to satisfy. Even though this crowd, many of them wouldn't have known it, they were following Jesus because their hearts were empty. There was a longing for something more. And maybe even subconsciously, there was a sense, well, if we follow Jesus, maybe that emptiness, that hole in us will start to be filled. Yes, they were physically hungry, but two and more importantly, and Jesus knew this, they were spiritually starving to death. 
Now, Jesus knew that the occasion of this crowd's hunger and the timing of his provision would be this amazing opportunity to declare who he was. And he goes on to do that through the rest of Luke chapter 9. But Jesus also knew, I think, in this moment, here's a great opportunity for me to shape and to mold and continue to disciple the disciples. There's something going on here about Jesus preparing the disciples for all that was to come. And I almost have a sense that was Jesus' priority. It was his ministry opportunity in this moment. So firstly, the story is a great reminder for us to have eyes like Christ, always on the lookout for opportunities to physically and even spiritually care for those who God might place on our path. But what a contrast there is here. The faith of Jesus versus the doubt of the disciples. Now imagine for just a moment, you were one of the disciples, you're standing alongside Jesus and these crowds are are gathered around you. The day is drawing towards a close, you can hear the sound of 20,000 rumbling stomachs joining in with your rumbling stomach and Jesus, ever mindful of the physical and spiritual needs of the people, turns to you and he says, would you please give that lot something to eat? I wonder how you would respond in that moment. Can I be really honest with you for a moment? I think it's at this point I would conclude, Jesus, you have surely lost the plot and it is time for me to go back to collecting taxes or in my old case, going back to collecting insurance premiums. Please don't hate me. But I think it's worth pausing here for just a moment and reflecting on the significance of the request that Jesus makes. Remember, Jesus isn't just seeking a solution here to a temporary problem. Jesus is not trying to open a pop-up catering business. He's not saying to his disciples, look, if we do a really good job with this meal, they'll come back for breakfast uh, tomorrow. Instead, Jesus is inviting his disciples, and therefore he invites each and every single one of us to participate in his divine plan. Well, what an invitation. The Savior of the universe invites you and he invites me to join in with the ministry that he is doing in this world. At the very beginning of Luke chapter 9, he's already sent out the 12. And at the very beginning of Luke chapter 10, he sends out the 72, all with the same command. As you go, command the kingdom of God, proclaim the kingdom of God, and would you go and do some great ministry? What an invitation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Absolute tick but there's an extra bit. You will also have the opportunity to serve alongside Jesus in his mission and his ministry. What an invitation he makes to us. You see, I have a sense here that Jesus in this moment is trying to awaken something in his disciples. He sees all of the hidden potential that's there. It's ready to be uh, unleashed. And actually, this moment has really got nothing to do with physical hunger, although that's the presenting problem, and it seems to be the solution that Jesus uh, offers a, a solution to. But actually, this is about something spiritual. It's not only about the physical. So how do the disciples respond? Jesus, if we go and get this lot some food, it's going to take more than half a day's wages, and we really don't have that kind of money. Jesus, you've got to be kidding. Have you seen the size of the crowd? Get rid of them. This is just not going to happen. But as Luke tells the the story in this gospel, I think he hints at a different reality. I think he hints that in the midst of their doubt, there was actually a nugget of faith amongst these disciples. Listen again to what they say. Jesus, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. I want to suggest that is an offering of faith. We've got this, Jesus. But then it's immediately followed, isn't it, with all the doubt. 
but that's no good because that's nowhere near enough for this crowd. We're going to have to go shopping or do something else. But here in the moment of this story, there is a nugget of faith in a sea of doubt. Wasn't it Jesus who said, faith as small as a mustard seed could move a mountain? Well, maybe there's just enough faith here, even a minuscule amount, that Jesus can actually work with that level of faith. We may have little faith, but we have a big God. Now, we know from the other gospel writers that the disciples had received this food because a small boy had offered it to them, five barley loaves and two fish. Now, there was something in the disciples that made them take that offering in the first place, but more than that, then take it to Jesus that he might be able to do something with it. You see, it seems to me that Jesus honors the little faith that they have, even though their overwhelming emotion was one of doubt. They offer the limited resource that they have, a mere five loaves and two fish, even though in the face of such meager provision, their doubt and their skepticism ought to have helped them conclude this was nowhere near enough. So you may as well give up, just walk away. And then I imagine Jesus here with a knowing smile, just taking the little that they've uh, offered. He looks up to heaven. He blesses this tiny, minuscule offering of faith, and he reveals again that God is the God of multiplication. What's your favorite mathematics? Jesus loves multiplication, and he hates division. He loves to multiply. You see, God can multiply whatever we give him. The trouble is, if we give him nothing, then nothing multiplied by anything is always nothing. It's basic maths. But if we give Jesus something, then he can multiply that something and make it greater than it was previously. In this moment, the disciples' offering offering was, was not, I don't think, just merely an offering of food, but maybe just it was a nugget of faith a symbol of their willingness to surrender the little that they'd been able to get, trusting that Jesus could do something abundantly with it. Little can become much when you place it in the hands of God. Jesus blesses the bread and the fish and something miraculous happens. Not only does it feed the 20,000 or so people that are in front of him, but we read there were 12 basket loads left over. Our God loves to multiply How was that possible? Because the disciples offered Jesus something even in the midst of their doubt. And I want to say to us this morning, and some of us really need to hear this, that doubt is not the opposite of faith, but actually it's part of our faith. And when we embrace doubt, something amazing can happen so that our faith can grow. That's actually what happens here in the story. I guarantee you that the disciples had more faith after they'd falteringly and doubtingly offered that bread and fish to Jesus than they had beforehand. Trusting Jesus, even out of doubt, can fuel and can grow and can feed our faith. And I think we need to be really, really gentle with people who have doubts. Why do I say that? Because if we're not gentle with those people, then I am out of a job because I have doubts too. You see, faith is often seen as the opposite of doubt, but that perspective, I think, needs to be flipped. The opposite of faith is certainty. And where there's certainty, actually there's no room for faith. And we're called to Christian Christian faith, aren't we? We're not called to Christian certainty. Paul uh, Tillich, who's a Christian philosopher, puts it this way, doubt is not the opposite of faith, but it is one element of faith. And I want to ask you today, are you wrestling even uh, with a small amount of doubt or maybe with a massive amount of doubt? I want to say to you, it's okay. You're in really, really good company. Have you ever noticed that 
most of the people in the, in the Bible, in fact, the Bible is full of stories who, who are doubting people. And those doubting people go on to be the heroes of faith because they believed even with their doubt. They earned their title because even though they had doubt, they acted with the small amount of faith that they had. And these individuals go on to become the main characters in the Scriptures. I was thinking earlier this week, you know, if you take all the stories of doubt out of the Bible, then there's not much of a Bible left. You see, the real issue isn't doubting God. It's what we do with our doubt. Doubt can stop us from following God, or if we're willing to embrace our doubt and wrestle with it, it can actually grow and it can increase our faith. In the economy of a God who loves to multiply, our doubts can actually push us closer towards God. If you're wrestling with doubt this morning... Would you offer to him the tiny amount of faith that you might have, and he will multiply it. He will multiply it. Now, whenever we learn about the feeding of the 5,000, we we typically focus on Jesus, the crowd, the disciples, and we neglect that one other character. Who was it? The boy. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but in Luke's gospel, the boy doesn't even get a mention. The disciples have just got the the bread and the fish. We're not told where that bread and that fish came from. But in Matthew, Mark, and John, um, Matthew, Mark, and John's Gospels, the boy is very much mentioned. And I think there's something that that teaches us. You see, even though Luke might have forgotten to mention the boy, even though he's an irrelevance, it might seem, in the story, God hasn't forgotten him, and that boy mattered to God. No one would have imagined that what that little boy was carrying in his little basket would be God's multiplied provision there for that moment. He was just one little boy in a crowd with some seafood and some bread, and he'd been chosen to offer that that thing that he offered so that he could play a part in the Messiah's redemptive plan for that day. No one knew that after that moment, every man, every woman, every child, whoever trusted in Jesus or read the Bible would know about that little nameless boy. You see, here's what I'm trying to say. We never know which little person God is going to use. We never know how God is going to use us. And do you know what that means? It means we're never, ever lost in the crowd. You today are a person of significance in the economy of God. We're never without anything to offer. We might think that our basket is full of something quite insignificant, but our God multiplies and he can use that that we offer. You know, whenever I think about this passage of Scripture, I always find myself wondering, what if... uh, that little boy hadn't offered his bread and his fish, I guess there'd be no story to tell. What if he'd shouted at the disciples as he was wandering around stranger danger and run as fast as he could uh, into the crowd and just disappeared? What if his parents had stopped him and said, don't offer that fish, that bread, that's our food, go away, we're going to eat and everyone else can worry about themselves. But the story didn't happen that way. This boy selflessly offers what he has and God uses it and God multiplies it. What an amazing story. I want to encourage you today. Maybe today you're somebody who is wrestling with doubt and you think your doubt is massive and your faith is really small. Offer to God what you have because he delights in multiplying it. You may feel that what you've got in your basket is of no use to the Savior. He can take what you offer and do something amazing with it. We're going to sing in just a moment a song of response, which is, I will offer up my life. 
And I want to encourage us this morning to use this song as our prayer. To sing to God today, I'm going to offer to you, God, what I have. Would you take it? Would you use it for your glory? Could you even use insignificant little me and the meager faith that I offer? And Maybe as we sing this song as well, you just want to say to God, you know what, God, I come with so much doubt today. But there's a nugget of faith. God delights in what we offer him. Even if what we offer is a nugget in a sea of doubt. Can I encourage you to stand with me? Lord, as we sing this song, we make it our prayer to you today. That you would take our lives that we would have the amazing privilege of you using our lives for your kingdom plans and your kingdom purposes in Jesus' name. Amen.